I invite you all to turn with me in your uh, Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. And I think uh, the little blue sheets hopefully made it their way around with the uh, ushers handing them out. Uh, they uh, list for, for you where we're headed in the coming weeks as we work our way through this book of, of Exodus. And, and I trust that it'll be a rich time for us, a time of growth in the Lord, of seeing more of who the Lord is and seeing more of who we are as well. As we go through these uh, verses, you may, uh, some who are here, we, we've grown a lot since January of 2010, but uh, some who were around back then will recall that we went through the book of Genesis over several months there. And so in a sense, what we're doing is picking up where we left off at that point and moving on uh, forward. If you uh, weren't part of that, if you've come in recent weeks and so forth, don't sweat it. I'm going to give the Cliff's Notes version right now. That will also be helpful for all of us who looked at Genesis back then, because those things tend to drift way back in our memory. Uh, Genesis is a book. As we look at Exodus, we need to see where we came from in Genesis. Genesis is a, is a book that talks about God working in a glorious way through creation, creating the entire universe and then particularly creating his people, beginning with Adam and Eve. It also tells us about the entrance of sin into the world, how sin came and began to corrupt man's relationship with himself, man's relationship with others around, with creation even, with the, the created order around, and then most importantly, of course, corrupting our relationship with God and disrupting that relationship. But Genesis also tells us that far from God being some sort of uh, clockmaker who sets things in motion and twists it and walks away, God is intimately involved in bringing out a plan of salvation for his people to restore that relationship with us. And we see it begin to play out through Noah, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through these folks we perhaps have heard of in the book of Genesis. And then Genesis finished up, if you recall a little bit of it, with this person, Joseph. One of the sons of Jacob, who is horribly mistreated by his own siblings, ends up being sold off into slavery to Egypt. God's sovereign plan for him, which he found a way to trust in, was for him to go down to Egypt while his family was off in the land of Canaan, or what we'd call Israel. And that was not just God's plan, it turned out, for Joseph, but it was God's plan for all of his people, because a famine would eventually strike the land of Israel, and they would have to flee to Egypt, where, in God's sovereign you know, providence, he had raised up Joseph then to be one of the leaders right underneath Pharaoh's authority to allow them, him to show mercy and to take care of what was then just these 12 families with about 70 people that came in to this land of Egypt. As we read these verses today, then, we're looking back to that and beginning to move forward. Hundreds of years have transpired, but we will continue to see that even though things have changed in Egypt, God continues to carry out his purposes to grow his people, even as they face resistance and are called in the midst of that resistance to obey in faith. I'm going to let you all remain seated because we're going to read, I'm going to read this uh, entire first chapter of Exodus. It's got a lot for us. I invite you to read along with me silently as I read aloud Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his 
household, Reuben, Sibion, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers in that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, people of Israel are too many, too mighty for us. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They, the Israelites, built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and in brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that's born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Let's pray together again. Oh, Father, we pray specifically for our time now looking into your word. And we praise you, Lord, that it is eternal truth for us. Would you work transformation in our lives through it today by your power? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I called Justin, a neighbor friend of mine, this week to touch base with him on some things. And he said, uh, answered the phone, and he said, guess where I am? I said, already out in Glendale? He said, no. Uh, he said, I am at the hospital. I am at the hospital. And I said, wow, I didn't know things were coming this early. I was tapping back into my very limited pastoral memory of the due date for his wife. And I thought, well, this sounds like this might have happened a little bit early. He said, well, yeah, he said it came early, and it's even more interesting than that. He said, do you want the short story or the long story? He said, I have a few minutes. Why don't you go ahead and give me the whole scoop? And Justin shared with me, and I share this story with their permission, about he and his wife, Whitney. Uh, about 11 o'clock, he said the day before, we, uh, she came into my home office there, and her water had broke. Said we got a few things together gradually. We weren't in a big hurry. So our second child, we went to the 
uh, Hospital, and we arrived at St. Vincent's at exactly 12.10, so right after noon, said, I noticed that she seemed to be in a little bit more pain than she'd been in with our first child, so I rushed up to the desk a little faster than I normally would and spoke a little bit more directly. He said, they began to prepare a room. They didn't quite have one ready. They didn't even have the sheets on the table when they got her, or on the uh, uh, bed when they got her there. He said, I looked later, and the uh, straps had been connected for, to check the contractions, had been connected for a total of 26 seconds before she gave birth into my hands, Justin's, and the nurse's hands at 12.22. Well, Whitney, to my knowledge, is not a Hebrew woman. But she would have done okay among these people in Israel and the people of Israel back in the land of Egypt. And while their story uh, ended up with the excitement of a new little baby girl for them, uh, this story in the scriptures shows a lot of the resistance of people against the people of God. It's a much more heartbreaking story than that. And indeed, as we look at these verses, what we're going to see is that God is constantly in this process of growing his people, but then also in a strange way, allowing his people to face resistance from different places. And in the midst of that, we're called, each of us in our individual lives are called to this seemingly simple thing, but often very difficult thing of walking in the obedience that comes from faith from recognizing who God is in our lives. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, there's an outline on the back panel of it, and it just expresses that very idea that God's people, indeed, I think this is the main idea, God's people face resistance while God causes us to grow and we obey in faith. Those two things are going on at the same time. And before we look at these three themes, growth, resistance, and obedience in faith in depth, Let's just think for a minute on the surface level, I guess you'd say, about how these things affect us. We hear about growth and we see in these verses that God's in the business of growing his people. He's always growing them in depth with him, but he's often growing them in numbers as well. But we tend to look at small things and not really be sure, not have a lot of confidence that God's going to be able to bring them into something bigger. We would look at these 12 tribes of Israel that come in, dust-covered, 70 people that are numbered come in to get help from Joseph. They're barely alive. They're famished and are completely dependent on Pharaoh. And we say, there's no way much can amount of this little group of people. But God looks at that same group of people and says, I'm going to do a work of growing them so that they multiply into what would be millions of people by the time we reach these first chapters of Exodus. We look at the 12 disciples of Jesus, these men who are scattered and cowering and fearful as, uh, as they've seen their leader, Jesus Christ, crucified and taken from them. We look at that group of people and we say, there, there's not going to be much amount from this. But Jesus looks and says, perfect. They're in exactly the place I want them to be, where they're totally dependent. They know they need me to work, and they're looking for God to do a work. 
We might even look at this group of people around here, this Cross Creek Church plant, which is growing, and we're seeing the Lord do a work, and yet we look around and say, it still looks kind of small. I'm not sure what's going to happen with this group. And yet God looks at it and says, I'm doing a work right now. People's lives are being changed. We're growing up in him, and God is using us to reach others around us in the community. God's in the business of growing us. We also see in these verses that we're challenged. So we're challenged to believe and to embrace this idea that God grows and is in the business of growing. We also see that there's resistance at every turn for God's people. It should resonate with us because we face resistance. It might be just for us our own personal resistance. As Romans 7, Paul talks about our struggle with sin and to try to walk with the Lord. And he says, the good things I want to do, those things I don't manage to do. And the bad things that I know I'm supposed to steer clear of, these seem to be the very things that I move toward. That's a struggle. We are resisting our own selves in our desire to grow with the Lord. For some of us, uh, even as we saw in these verses, these uh, little ones, the sons of Israel being pulled away from the Israelite people, we're feeling our young people, our children, being pulled away by the culture, being pulled away by the things that are thrown at them from the Lord. And they face resistance, and we face resistance as parents trying to raise them in the Lord. Some of us face the resistance simply of realizing I'm a believer who's in the world, who's committed to seek to live for the Lord, and the world is not going in the same direction. And that creates resistance for us. So we feel this tension of the resistance. Last thing we see, and we're going to walk back through all these in a little bit more precise way, is we see this opportunity to walk in faith and obedience at every turn, and yet we struggle. We see these midwives here in these verses who seem to be willing to set aside their well-being to trust in the Lord, and yet if we think about ourselves in their situation, probably be much more likely to say, you know, it's just my job, you know, it's just my job, what I'm called to do in my work. Or, you know, life's about compromise, and at least the girls are going to, survive the little baby girls so we just have to make peace with that or let's be realistic pharaoh's in charge he's running the show we can't go against his program the midwives challenge us don't they by their simple obedience that comes from faith in the face of what was at this time greatest power in the world the pharaoh Let's zoom back in and look at these things a little more closely. Look with me at verse 7. We'll see that God is in the business. I think we can take great encouragement from this today. God is in the business of growing. He's in the business of growing us in Him. He's in the business of growing and expanding His kingdom. Verse 7 tells us this. The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Jump on down with me to verse 12. It says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And then when they're under this extreme oppression of their sons being taken from them, verse 20 says, 
So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Tells us three times over, God's interested in growing. He is propelling his people forward. Now, we may have one, you know, logistical question that I want to address a little bit. You say, how did 70 people go to be what we find out at the beginning of the book of Numbers is about 2 million people? How does that work out? Well, first of all, these folks were, you know, it's uh, no birth control. So these folks are having babies and having a lot of them. And I know theoretically probably each family didn't have 12, but just for the sake of the math, if you did have 12 tribes and each of their children had 12 and each of the next generation had 12, you only have to do that about five times, five generations, and you've got over 2 million people. So logistically it's possible for one, but the main message here is not the logistics. The main message is that God is propelling this. God's interested in seeing the work of his people grow. And he's at work in that way in our midst as well. This goes all the way up through the book of Acts. You don't need to turn there, but Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It's right after a, a familiar description, probably for some of us, of the church and how the church gathered together and seek to worship God and follow him and some of the things we're trying to do here at Cross Creek. And the last part of that passage says that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. So God's in the business of growing his people. As we start a new year then as a church, I think one of the things we need to have a sense of expectancy for, readiness for, that we ought to be praying for, we ought to look for God to be doing, is to grow us. And as I said before, I think that certainly means growing us up in him, in a depth of relationship, deeper knowledge, deeper love for one another. But it also means that we would grow out. And so we rightly pray for God to work in the lives of folks around us and to expect him to grow. We rightly are uh, giving up our resources and focusing our attention over the next couple of weeks and missions and thinking about how to support the work around the world because we know that God is growing his church across the nations. We believe that. He's in the business of growing. And the other thing it means for us is this. Cross Creek, still a Pretty small church, getting started and so forth. But we do see the Lord doing things around us. And it's possible, even in our early stage, for us to begin a little bit in the back of our mind to already start kind of patting ourselves on the back. Say, well, you know, we've, we've done some neat things here. We, we've put together a neat church. We've, we've got together some good ministries. And to forget, in even just a subtle way, that God is the one who has brought whatever growth we've experienced. Okay, so God's in the business of growing his people. That's the first thing. Second thing is we see that God's people face resistance at every turn, which is kind of interesting. Again, you see this theme of growth, but you see very staunch resistance. Verse 8, we see there's a new, uh, there's a new boss in town. It says that there's a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Apparently, the previous pharaohs of course joseph had died years before but they had known about him or somebody had passed on hey there was this these people of israel they came in with this guy and he was a real asset to us and it's a good you know it's a good program this whole israelite deal well that's that's gone by the wayside and you've probably been in that situation some of us you've had a work situation you have one boss and things are going good all of a sudden a new boss comes in 
You walk in one day, and you've got to adjust to the new plan. Well, this is what's going on. We've got a new pharaoh in town, and he doesn't like the way things have been run. And part of it is this fear that he has of the Israelites, and so he wants to figure out a way to protect against them. So you look here. Look at all the ways that resistance comes. Verse 10, it says that he begins to deal shrewdly with them. Later on, as we look down at verse 13, it says that they were dealing ruthlessly with them. So it moves from just a mindset towards these people to really mistreating them. And when you think about it, it's not, it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus met great resistance in his ministry. He was the Lord of the universe coming to give grace and love and mercy, and yet he faced resistance. The early believers in the Roman Empire, Christians, faced great resistance. And even up into today. In most of the world, as we look around and see what's happening, there's resistance against the work of Christ. And we even certainly see it in our own culture where, although we have freedom to gather this way and gather and give praise to God, many around us don't embrace, don't have a heart for the things of God and are resistant to some of the good things that we think we're doing, things for the Lord. We face resistance at every turn but things get even worse look with me at verse 15 as we've already seen the king of egypt because of his desire for his kingdom to advance and fears about what these people might do has called for these midwives to take the lives of the sons here and i guess we don't try to make it a business every week at Cross Creek to talk about uh, some of the dicey issues in our culture. But this is a Sanctity of Life month, and I actually didn't put together these passages thinking about that in advance. But because we're in these verses, I think it's good for us to pause today and talk about that issue. I know it's a, it's a little bit challenging one, maybe a very challenging one for us to consider. And I know, as you all hopefully know, that God extends grace for whatever decisions uh, anyone has made in their past. And some of us here have been involved in those decisions have received God's grace and know his mercy and his delight in us, just as we know it in every other area of sin in our lives. But as we look at these verses, I do want us to realize that we live in a culture today There's not some king that's calling for the eradication of the young ones in our society. It's our own desire for our own freedom for our own lives to go in our own directions or maybe to avoid the shame of decisions made and we see there that's just one issue among many where we see two kingdoms colliding there's resistance because two things are colliding in our society the the uh, writer augustine the uh, priest the bishop back in the early church, he wrote about it as the kingdom of God, the city of God, and the city of man, and that those two things are always going to be colliding. And we shouldn't be surprised that that's happening, that that continues today, that the kingdoms are colliding. I'll shift gears here. I don't know how many of y'all like to uh, watch NASCAR. I watch a little bit of NASCAR. Most of us, even if we're not going to watch the whole race, We get interested in one particular part, and I think it's really why we watch a lot of NASCAR, if we watch a lot of NASCAR, and that is because we're interested in not just these cars going round and round this track flawlessly at high speed, although that's kind of exciting. We're interested to see what happens 
when two cars both try to occupy the exact same space. Usually happens is a huge crash, a huge explosion, pieces flying everywhere. Somehow those drivers manage to survive through those things. I don't know how it works. That's really similar to what's going on in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. When you have two beliefs trying to occupy the same space in the life of an individual, in the life of a family, in the life of a church, in the life of a culture, there's going to be collision. There's going to be resistance. Those things will rub against one another. That's what's happening here in these verses. So we shouldn't be surprised as God's people that we face resistance. One last area that we face resistance that might surprise us, resistance to growth that God is trying to build, is actually from our own selves. We do it this way, and it'll begin to happen a little bit subtly for us as a church family. We, we are growing church, and and that's exciting, and that's wonderful, but one of the things that happens when God's growing things is things change. Things don't stay exactly the same, and that makes us uncomfortable sometimes, especially the nice thing about a new church is you start out with a small group of people. We get to know one another. We get to know one another on Sunday morning. We probably recognize each other, know each other's names. We go to life group, and we have this life group, or we go to a men's or women's small group, and we know the people there. And what's difficult is when you grow, you have to spread out. All of a sudden, those people that you got to know that you really enjoy spending time with, you don't see them as much. Or you've got to branch out and launch a new group. And we probably won't say it out loud. Nobody's going to write me a letter and say, Chris, I am uh, not interested in Cross Creek Church growing. Or no one's going to make a motion at the next congregational meeting that we stop growing as a church. We won't do that. But what we'll do is just sort of check out of the process of growth. We'll say, I'm not sure that I'm going to commit to going to those things, and then I'm not sure I'm really going to commit to trying to bring other people with me because I don't really necessarily want it to change. I like it the way it is, and growth means change. We'll become our own opponents, our own resistance in that way, and we need to pray that God would give us a heart that desires to grow even though it means change for us. Last thing in these verses that's just unbelievable when you think about it is the account of these midwives and how they respond when threatened by the greatest leader in the known world at that time. You've got, again, uh, what I hope you're seeing, you've got these glo- what I would call global realities, growth, 70 people turning into 2 million people. That's a global reality. That's a big thing happening. You've got resistance. You've got extreme actions being taken against 2 million people to eradicate a lot of lives. And then you zoom in. It's like the verses want us to come down from those global realities and zoom in for our own sake so that we can think about our own lives to these two women. And presumably these two women, these midwives, represent a larger cadre of of ladies who are serving as the midwives for all these people because you... I don't think two of them could do the job with this growing population of Israelites. But you zoom in on the story of these two midwives, and we see something that is just remarkable. If you look with me at verse 17, they're ordered to do this despicable thing. And it says, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. The midwives feared 
God. We've talked before. When the Bible talks about fearing God, it's certainly talking about a sense of awe and recognition of his holiness, but it's also just talking about um, a reverence for, for who he is and an acknowledgement that his purposes and his plans are good. A focus, a trembling at that rather than at the, what the world says. And I just want to leave you with, with, uh, with this reality. As we think about what's going on in our lives, even around us, God is doing a work of growing. Even around us, we're seeing resistance to that work of growth. might come from our own hearts. might come from the culture around us. But in the midst of that, what are we called to do as God's people? We're called to obey in faith, to recognize that there is a being out there called God, that God desires for our lives to go in a certain pathway and that it's actually good and right for us to submit to him, to not submit to the desire to just be a consumer in our society and just find our life in acquiring more stuff, to not submit to the identity for our lives, to be a slave to this or that addiction or sin that we're wrestling with, but in fact to find our life in fearing God in recognizing his love for us and his path of goodness for us. This is what the verses call to call us to today as they share with us about growth, as they share with us about the resistance we'll face, and as they share with us about the call to an obedience that comes from faith that these midwives are convicting to us with their remarkable ability to stand against this great king, even as we struggle, and myself included, to stand against the things that direct our lives away from the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do praise you that you are a God to be feared, that you are a God who is a holy and righteous and just and yet also loving and gracious to us. Lord, as we read these verses, we certainly are convicted, Lord, for places where we doubt the growth that you are bringing about in our lives, the growth that you would bring about in this church, the growth that you would bring about around the world. And we praise you, God, that you are a God who grows things, that the church is alive and growing because of your power at work. Oh, Father, we confess as well that we're a people who are easily thrown back on our heels when we face resistance. When we face a culture that doesn't agree with what we believe or family members or even, Lord, in our own hearts, we see our own resistance to follow through on the things that we have committed to as believers. But Father, we pray as well, recognizing that in the midst of all of this, that you're seeking for us to simply walk in faith that brings obedience. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that in a way that recognizes that you are the ultimate king over our lives. You are the ultimate Lord. And you love us, care for us to walk in your path. What you have for us is best, and so we can stand with you regardless of the consequences around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.